Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Today we have another vintage sermon for you. Before it plays, I want to share a couple of thoughts. So this is the second sermon I preached at our church and maybe the first I ever preached at a Sunday morning church service in general. The last vintage sermon we shared was the first I had ever preached. I think they were just a couple of months apart. As you'll hear, this one was preached around Christmas and the one before was around Halloween. I was still the youth pastor and would be for several years. Here's what interests me, and I know this is subjective, but I'm amazed at how much better this sermon is. While I'm still a little angry sounding, I'm clearly less nervous, speak slower, and just seem more comfortable. Even the audio quality is much better, although there are still some weird moments where it drops out. Okay, so one personal note about the sermon. In the middle of it, I tell a story about my great-grandma going to the hospital, and when the story started as I was listening to the sermon this morning, it just made me emotional. My great-grandma would live for about a year after this, and as I heard the story this morning, I just thought, wow, my Gigi was still alive. Another thing that struck me from this sermon is how it may have been more relevant than I knew at the time. I talk a lot about disunity being one of the things that wage war against our souls. Based on what I've learned in the years to follow, I think there were undercurrents of disunity, tension, and arguing in our church that I was really unaware of as a a 15-hour-a-week youth pastor. God's Spirit often leads pastors to preach on things that are a much bigger deal than they know as they speak. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, this sermon is actually preached on a Sunday I often point back to when leading our church today. This sermon is called Live Beautifully, and at the end of it, I call people to the altar, inviting anyone who knew they needed to make a better effort at living beautifully to kneel before the cross in front of the room. This was, and frankly is, out of the norm for my preaching and for our church, but five or so people came forward. It was a powerful moment, and God was clearly moving, but the song finished, and then from the stage, people were asked to put chairs away. In some ways, the person that asked this was right. We met in a school and had a time limit. The chairs needed to get put away. At the same time, it felt like that morning, we didn't have space or time for the Holy Spirit to move. Our church shrunk in numbers and other ways for years to come after this. I have lots of thoughts about the timing of that, but I'll just give you one. When I became the pastor of our church, it was important to me that we never put ourselves in a situation to quench the Holy Spirit. So those are my thoughts, and with that in mind, I would just say that I hope the Holy Spirit uses this sermon to help you learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So just like I said last time, um, I think that we need to get our hearts in the, in the right place this morning to be changed. Because if you're here this morning and you're looking up here and you're like, well, this will be interesting, youth pastor, whatever, good to see my friends, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. It's not right. Uh, It's not right because if we leave here unchanged, then we wasted our time. And I'm going to stand in front of you and I'm going to try to preach the word of God the best I can. And it's your job. It's your job to let that sink into your heart as the Holy Spirit moves. And I... I would hate, I would hate to have wasted the hours that I spent studying this passage, just waste it. I, I do not want that to happen. And so, please open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter now. And after we get there, I'm going to pray. And, and as I pray, please get your hearts in the right place, in the right place to expect, to expect God to work in your life. I was going to talk about the wise men today, and what a great story that is. But my heart was not there. And as you turn to 1 Peter 2.11, 
This is more where my heart is because this is something that I think that all of us need to hear. This is something that I know I need to hear and I'm guessing that I am not the only one. And so let's be changed today. 1 Peter 2.11 Dear Lord, I pray, God, that as we look at your word this morning, God, we will not just look at it as another book. We will not think of it, God, as as something that was just written down by a man, Lord, but we will know that we are reading the words of God that you have left for us, God, and we will count that a privilege, Lord, and we will not just hear it and let it go in one ear and out the other, God, but we will let it sink into our hearts so that we are changed. God, do not let this be a wasted Sunday morning. Do not let us get out of bed for nothing today, God, but, Lord, let us be transformed by the power of your word, Lord, so that we leave here more equipped, more mature, and better for you, Lord. Pray these things in your son's holy name. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that the thing in which they slander, you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds as they observe them, Glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, oftentimes when we're thinking about sin, fleshly lust, living a good life, the first thing that we think is not beloved. And Peter comes here to this verse, and he starts it off with the word beloved. Uh, some of you will have the NIV version, and it will say, dear friends, I believe, or something like that, but that does not even encompass or grasp the love that Peter is displaying with this word. He's calling them beloved, showing a deep type of affection for the people he's talking to. He's not coming to them as somebody who simply wants to say, do this, do this, do this. He is coming to them as somebody who loves them and wants them to succeed in their spiritual lives. He comes to them as somebody who cares about them. These are people that he loves and desires to see succeed. And with this in mind, he says these things. Now, to set this verse in context, you'd have to go back to the two verses before, uh, the verses that the high, school and I, high schoolers and I looked at last week. And he talks about the privileges that they have in the Lord Jesus. And he talks about how because of those privileges, their job now is to proclaim the excellencies of him. And oftentimes we don't think about that. We don't think that God saved me and gave me the privilege to be a child of His so that I may proclaim His excellencies. We think it's for our financial stability so that we have somebody to pray to, so that we can go to heaven someday. All of those things. And yes, they may be true, but that is not why God saved us. God saved us to proclaim His excellencies. And he says there in verse 10, For once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He is telling them, you have been brought out of this place and into this place to proclaim my excellencies. And now Peter, in these two verses that we're going to look at today, shows us how we can do that in our lives. Verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you, and then he's going to say, as aliens and And you're going to find in the book of 1 Peter that there are some prevalent themes. And one of these themes is the fact that we are not citizens 
of this earth if we are Christian people. He says right there in verse 1, 1, that you are aliens in Bithynian, Pontian, Galatia, and Asia, and somewhere else. And then he says in verse 17, during your time here on earth. And now he backs that up with the fact that he's calling us aliens and strangers. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. He is not, he is not urging just anybody. He is urging people whose citizenship is no longer here on earth, but is now in heaven because they have placed their faith in Christ. The Greek word there for that first word is um, parakois, which literally means alongside the house. It has the idea of people that are living somewhere, but they are not part of that family. And we are no longer part of the family of just the people on this earth, but we have become the family of God. And then the second word there that uses for strangers is a synonym, and it refers to someone who is traveling through another country and might stay there for a while. This, this theme is so prevalent throughout the book of 1 Peter, and it's very, very important that we grasp it if we're going to live in the way that Peter wants us to. Everything that he says, the joy, the peace, the, the happiness that we can experience on this earth, and the way that we're supposed to live rest on the idea that this is not our home. And this is a great idea to many of us. Um, it's just a great idea. But quite frankly, it doesn't really sink in very often. I feel quite at home on this earth. Home. It's pretty comfortable for me. Got a nice bed and, and warm clothes and good food. But this week, my great-grandma went to the hospital. Now, you think great-grandma, and some of you think, well, it's just that time. Uh, it's just that time that she gets old and does all that. But for me, it's not some great-grandma that lives on the other side of the world, somebody else's great-grandma. This is my great-grandma. I lived with her for many years of my life. She was the one there when I accepted the Lord. She was there in some of my hardest times teaching me a verse that, that I've clung to for the rest of my life. This is my great-grandma who has been a pillar of strength in my life throughout all of it. And there I am at 2.30 in the morning on a Wednesday night maybe Tuesday and Wednesday both, from 2.30 to 7.30. And she's given basically a goodbye speech. I hope you guys will be financially all right when I leave. I wish I could buy Jared a car. She's given her goodbye speech. And the next night, it got worse because she didn't know who I was. She looked at me and said, you don't love me because of the pain medication. And as I sat in that chair for five hours up and down, helping my great-grandma sit back down because she didn't know what was going on, the realization came to me that if we're hoping in this earth, then we're hoping in nothing. Because I know that 22 years ago when I was born, she was a young, healthy, seven-year-old, and it seems like yesterday. But today, she is in a hospital room, and I thought she was going to die. And the thought occurred to me that that is where I'm headed, and I am headed there faster than I have ever known. We are a flower quickly fading, a song says. We will be gone in a blink of an eye. And if I, if I am a citizen of this earth, then man, I wish I wouldn't have been born, as Job says. I wish that I would not have been born if this is what I have to hope for. But praise God. Praise God that I am an alien and a stranger in this foreign land. 
that I am a Martian man, as I have described it to the high schoolers, who is here to tell people about the king in my true home. Did you hear that? Somebody put that in a book. I am a Martian man who is here to tell people about the king who is in my true home. And you have to grasp this idea. You have to grasp this idea before we can go on any more in this verse. Because he says, as aliens and strangers, he's making a very pointed statement to say, this is not your home and this is your job. And this is the first thing that you need to hear today. You are an alien. You are a stranger. And if you don't get that idea and you become too homely right here on earth, then nothing else is going to happen in your spiritual life. You will be stuck because you will be happy here. And if you are simply happy here, then you lose because you will end up in a hospital bed someday not recognizing the people that you have loved for so many years. You will be in pain, hurting. Think about all the grandmas that are struggling. You've seen it in the prayer request this morning. You've seen It's where you and I are headed. I don't care if you're in high school. I don't care if you're middle age. And I don't care if you're already over the hill. You are headed. (laughs) Wasn't looking for a joke there. That's the second joke of the night. (laughs) You are headed for the same fate. I hope you got that despite the joke. You are headed for the same fate. Now you're headed with me if you're understanding. Yeah? Okay. So he says, Beloved, I urge you as alien strangers. And he's going to go on from there, and he's going to tell us something that we need to do. To abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Fleshly lusts that wage war against the soul. And I told you last time I was up here that we need to gird up. Does anybody remember that word? It's on my bracelet, gird up. We need to gird up because it is not a walk in the park. Our Christian lives are not walks in the park, but rather they are a war, a battle. It's throughout the New Testament. Paul exhorts Timothy, fight the good warfare. War the good warfare. I like that translation better. Uh, And here it is again. It tells us that these fleshly lusts are going to wage war. The the term wage war there in the Greek is a Greek word that means to carry out a long military campaign. Now, I need you to see here that the language that he is using is not fun. It's It's not middle of the road. He's not saying these things will kind of attack you. They are going to wage a long military campaign against what? Your soul. And yet we don't take it seriously. He is telling these people to abstain from fleshly lusts that wage war against your soul. And when I think back to the fact that I am an alien, uh, this body is not going anywhere, guys. This body is not going going to heaven with me. Uh, It's gone. But my soul is. And these things are waging war against my soul. Now, you immediately probably thought sexual things there when you read fleshly lust. And I just want to read you from Galatians 5, 19 through 21. You can flip there if you want. You don't have to. But it says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, okay? Deeds of the flesh, fleshly lust, similar things. Paul's going to help us out understand what Peter means by fleshly lust right here. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are 
immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, caressing, and things like these. And I look at you, and I've been around Christianity to know, long enough to know, that a lot of us simply think, I am not a homosexual, and I do not kill babies, and so I'm living a pretty darn good life. But man, when you read, and those things are bad. Don't get me wrong. Those things are very bad. But when you read that list, it shames you. Because those things are waging war against our souls. And it pretty much described church. Look, look at some of those things. Some of those things are the big things that you always think about. But look at enmities. I had to look these words up. Bad feelings or hate. Oh, that never happens here. Strife. Meaning conflict or fighting. Jealousy. Disputes. Dissensions, which means disagreement, conflict, or rebellion. Factions, which means division, sections, splinter group, and I wrote church split. Envying, and things like these. Things like these. And we sit in our high and mighty posts, and we think we're pretty darn good because we're not that world out there. Meanwhile, this war is waging on, and we are losing battles because we are envying. We are losing battles because we are jealous. We are losing battles because there is conflict within our churches, conflict within Christian relationships, conflict in Christian families. And these things are waging war, and we're sitting back and taking it. The fleshly lusts are operating a military campaign against us, and we don't care because we don't do the big things. And it's time for a change. It is time for a change. We are aliens and strangers in this land, and we are living so much like this world. We, we aren't even battling those fleshly lusts. We are, we are far from abstaining from them. And that Greek word abstain there is in the, it's in the present infinitive form. And it means a continually ongoing state of abstaining. And yeah, we might abstain for a little while from divisions in our church. But tomorrow we'll give right back in again. The battle is raging on and we are losing. We are losing and we're going to see in the next verse that we are losing at the expense of the lost souls on this planet. So it tells us we are aliens. And because of this, we need to abstain, stay away from fleshly lusts, not just the big ones, but the little ones, okay? And then he goes on from this. Now, that, that's a negative thing, stay away from, right? Now he's going to tell us the positive side. He says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And then if you skip down just a little more, he says that they may account on, on account of your good deeds. Now, He's going to say, abstain from these things, correct? And now he's going to say, live an excellent life. Have good deeds. Now, there's a word there that's used twice. And I used some Greek stuff already, but quite honestly, I got them out of books, and I don't remember hardly anything from Greek class. But I do remember, I do remember one word, and that word is kolos. 
And I remember this word because I would spend my time in Greek class. That's probably why I don't remember anything. But I'd spend it in the back of the room writing Greek love notes. Uh, yeah. Because it was much more entertaining than all those other things that I don't remember. Um, and I would, I would give them to my homiletics teacher later in the day. Uh, and we'd have a good time with it. But I remember that one of the that I had, uh, it simply said a kolos, which means a, you are, and kolos, beautiful. And the Greek word that is used here is kolos. It's a form of kolos. And when I think of that word and I see excellent or I see good, I, I really don't think that it does the word justice. I think that beautiful is a much better term. John MacArthur, uh, along the same lines, puts down uh, five or six words that he thinks uh, go into this idea of excellent or good behavior. Lovely, fine, gracious, fair to look at, winsome, noble. This passage is saying, abstain from fleshly lust and have beautiful behavior. Beautiful behavior. And again, going back to this aliens and strangers idea, because that is who he's talking to, aliens and strangers, I feel like we just look like this world. If, if we examine ourselves, if we examine who we really are, we don't look much different than our non-Christian friend. We simply just don't look much different. And this passage is telling us, abstain from the fleshly lust, and maybe you have that down, but, but now it says, now it says, live an excellent life, and, and it also says, have good deeds. And we try sometimes, but this is a daily living thing. Remember that our time here is short. We are aliens and strangers who are fading so quickly, so quickly. And are we living excellent lives? I would go out on a limb and say no. I would go out on a limb and say that we are not. Uh, do we have many good deeds? Maybe once in a while, and we feel pretty good about that for a long time, don't we? And now look what he says. Look what he says, because the importance of abstaining from fleshly lust and the importance of having an excellent lifestyle with good deeds comes down to people's souls. Look what he says. So that in the thing in which they slander... You as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. And that day of visitation, if you look to the Old and New Testament, it's a time when God comes and brings redemption and blessing to someone. It is talking about their salvation. If we will abstain from fleshly lust, if we will live an excellent life, if we will have good deeds, then these people who are currently slandering us as evildoers will glorify God when they are saved. They will understand the grace that we understand. And they will celebrate the Lord because of that. And if you look back to the time in which Peter was writing, you're going to find that Christians were evildoers in people's minds. They were people who were, in the minds of the Romans, hurting the social and economical process. They were people who were... Uh, uh, atheists because they didn't celebrate the Roman government. They were people, this will be easier if I read it, who, who were hypocrites. They were people who were cannibals because of the Lord's Supper. Uh, they opposed slavery, which was just treacherous to the world around them. They just were seen as evildoers. And I don't think times have changed much. Because if you look to the outside world, more and more we're looking 
like evildoers. We cause economic problems here in their minds because of our political views. It's a true statement. We're judgmental. We're hypocrites. We're fake. The list goes on and on. And when I look back at the Christians to whom Peter was writing to and think, man, they were none of those things, I look at us and say, yeah, we probably are. We're oftentimes hypocrites. We're oftentimes just like the world and proclaim something else. We talk bad about each other. We have divisions, more divisions than most secular groups have. We quite frankly look like evildoers to them. And this verse is calling us to something higher. It is calling us to abstain from fleshly lusts that include divisions and conflict and sexual impurity. It is calling us to leave those things behind. And it is calling us furthermore to live a life that is excellent, that is beautiful. And I stand before you today and say that I do not want to be the reason that somebody has an excuse to not come to the Lord. I do not want to be the reason that my mother can be accurate when she says that all Christians are hypocrites. I do not want to be the reason that your loved one doesn't accept Christ because they look at me and they say, he's no different. Fleshly lusts are winning in his life. He's no different. His life is not beautiful. He looks just like the other guy. He's no different. He's not doing anything good. I don't want to be that guy. And I don't want you to be that person either. This passage is telling us you are aliens and strangers. And because of this, you need to abstain from the flesh lusts that are performing a military campaign against your soul. And then it is telling us, live a life that is beautiful. It is coloss. So that when the Gentiles, when the nations, when the unsaved look at you, they can't say it's true. They, can't, they can just know that they are wrong when they claim that you are bad. Because you are living a life that is beautiful. You are doing good deeds. You are the one who is showing grace to the prostitute. You are the one who invites the drug addict into your home. You are the one who shows love when nobody loves you. And we got a choice. We got a choice. We can sit back and live like we've been living a normal life that looks nothing like a tourist here on this earth. Where we fit in and look like a local. Or we can abstain from fleshly lust. We can abstain from fleshly lust. And we can live a beautiful life. <laughs> How amazing would that be to live a beautiful life, abstaining from fleshly lust and doing good deeds? How, think about, if we did that, if we just let the light shine out of us, think about how this world would look at us and go, yes, I want to be a part of that. Because all they have to hope in right now is this world that is, that is fading so quickly and has nothing to offer. But the problem is we, as churchgoers, as Christians, are not offering much more. 
And I'm sorry if that offends you. And you're looking at me offended right now, but it's the truth. We look just like the world, and so we have nothing to offer, and so they slander us as evildoers. But the time is now that we put the fleshly lust aside and that we begin to live beautiful lives with beautiful deeds so that the Gentiles can have the day of visitation where God brings them redemption. He brings their grace into their lives, and they will glorify him. They will glorify him and say, thank you, Lord, for being my savior. Thank you, God, for the things that you have done for me. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask Eric to come up here with some of the worship people. And we're going to do a couple last songs, one last song, I think, and I don't always do this. I don't often do this, in fact. But I'm going to open up our altar right here. And if there's fleshly lust in your life that you need prayer for, or if you're flat out not living a beautiful life and it looks just like your neighbor who's not a Christian, if you're not doing good deeds, then feel free to come forward. And maybe none of you will, but I'm going to be the first person on my knees right here. Because I want to show in front of you that I no longer want to give in to fleshly lusts. I want to abstain. And that I want to live a beautiful life. And I want to have good deeds so that people will more glorify my God, my King, my Savior, who lives in my true home of heaven.